we continue our sermon series on great sermons in the book of Acts. I pray before I start this morning that the Holy Spirit will work in all of us as we explore God's word. What do you want to be when you grow up? It's a question that small children are often asked and their answers range from the predictable to the downright fanciful. A policeman, a doctor, or as one four-year-old said, a tattoo artist, because you get paid to draw on people. (laughs) Well, I wonder what Stephen wanted to be when he grew up. It's very unlikely that if asked, he would have responded, a deacon serving food to widows, a prophet, a miracle worker, and the first Christian martyr. Lives surrendered to God take people in very unexpected directions. So who was Stephen? And how did he come to be the central figure in this violent scene that we encounter in Acts chapter 7? Well, Stephen was one of the Greeks living in Jerusalem who had become a follower of Christ. And you might remember that back in chapter 6, he was appointed along with, by the apostles, along with six others, to, infer, to ensure fair distribution of food to the Greek-speaking widows in the early church. So we have him described in Acts 6, verse 5, as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, we see that God was working powerfully through Stephen and that he performed great wonders and signs among the people. But where the Spirit is at work, there is always opposition. So in the latter part of Act 6 here, we find a familiar story of opposition from religious leaders. In this case, the leaders of the Greek-speaking synagogue. It was most probably Stephen's synagogue. A story of jealousy, lies, false witnesses, and twisted words lead to Stephen standing before the Sanhedrin accused of blasphemy. It's a similar story to the one we encountered last week as Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin following that miraculous healing of a crippled beggar. But Stephen was not alone as he stood there. God confirmed him and his message, which a glory with a glory that everyone could see. And we read in verse 15, all who sat in the council looked intently at him and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. He was filled by the Spirit. And by the Spirit, Stephen in chapter 7 gives a clear and accurate overview of the whole New Old Testament story, reminding his listeners of the special place of Israel in God's plans. Nothing really in this content with which the Sanhedrin could disagree. 
If your Old Testament knowledge is a little bit shaky, go back and read Acts chapter 7. But then, in verse 51, Stephen switches from teacher to prophet. Last week we heard how Peter and John spoke truth with courage. Well, now Stephen does the same. Let's just... In just three verses, he shocks and enrages the Sanhedrin. Let's remind ourselves what he says. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. There was, I imagine, a moment of stunned silence before all hell broke loose. Fury overcame the entire Sanhedrin. But look at the contrast with Stephen. The spirit at this point gives him a beautiful vision of Jesus and an assurance of who Jesus is. The Sanhedrin now become a lynch mob dragging Stephen out of the city and subjecting him to the gruesome death which is described in the last few verses of chapter 7. And do you notice that in his dying, Stephen followed Jesus, praying for forgiveness for those who were stoning him. Lord Jesus, he said, Receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then finally we read, in my version of the Bible, he fell asleep. In calling even such a terrible death sleep, the writer Luke simply told the truth. For every child of God, we fall asleep. Stephen, grace-filled and gentle, buried and wept over by his friends. And the first of many martyrs, a word which means witness. Almost all of the apostles, including Paul, were to meet the same fate. And many who follow Jesus continue nowadays to speak up for him and to face terrible consequences. In May, I attended an Open Doors event here in Bristol. I heard the testimony of a lady from North Korea called Hee Woo. Hee Woo's husband, a Christian, died in a prison camp after extended torture. When his children visited him, he wanted to pass on his faith 
but there were guards everywhere. So he did something very simple and very profound. He wrote three words on his hand. Believe in Jesus. He whose daughter died of starvation in the Great Famine in the 1990s, along with many, many others. And sometime later, he who herself ended up in a North Korean prison camp because of her faith. She was initially condemned to public execution, but God had more work for her to do, and the sentence was commuted. Here's just a very short extract from her amazing testimony. She says this, God helped me to survive even more. He gave me a desire to evangelize among the other prisoners. He showed me whom I should approach. God used me to lead five people to faith. We met together out of the view of the guards. Often, that was in the toilet. There, we held a short service. I taught them Bible verses and some songs, which we sang almost inaudibly. Their favourite hymn was Amazing Grace. In Romans 8, verse 28, we read this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I'm afraid that it's a verse which is often misinterpreted. It doesn't mean that things will always work out the way we think they should, that there will be a storybook happy ending. But it does promise that in God's hands, by the power of the Spirit, those who act and live for and sometimes suffer for Jesus Christ will be blessed and bring glory to his kingdom in a way they could never have imagined. The apostles clearly knew this. Listen to Peter, writing shortly before his own martyrdom. Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and in the day of eternity. Amen. Let's return to Acts and to the aftermath of Stephen's martyrdom. To the subsequent persecution in Jerusalem and the scattering of the believers. And what believers they were. Knowing what had happened to Stephen, they didn't hide away, but we read that they preached the word wherever they went. God used Stephen's death to turn the church outward to Judea, Samaria, and to the whole world. And let's return to the scene and to a young man intently watching as Stephen dies. He may be in charge of the execution because others are laying their coats at his feet. His name is Saul. He hates Christians, and after Stephen's death, he pursues them with a renewed vigour. That is, until he himself 
meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And I often wonder if memories of that day laid some of the groundwork for Saul's subsequent conversion. And the movement continues. In the words of the writer John Ortberg, the way a communist dictionary defined the Bible, it is a collection of fantastic legends without any scientific support. Communism is diminishing. The movement continues. The discovery made by every person and nation who has tried to bury the truth, the same as the one made by those who tried to bury its founder. He won't stay in the tomb. I find this passage equally inspiring and challenging. I'm deeply grateful to Stephen, to He Wu, to countless millions who've stood up for Jesus and given everything for him. Their witness reminds me of the solid reality of my faith, the truth that Jesus was who he claimed to be. They did not die for a myth. And they did not die alone. The promise of the Spirit is real. And the suffering and death of the martyrs reminds me to take seriously the faith that I have inherited. Apathy can be a key weapon of Satan. Another famous martyr, the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, said this, The devil doesn't fill us with hatred for God, but with forgetfulness of God. I'll say that again. The devil doesn't fill us with hatred for God, but with forgetfulness of God. I will confess to you that I am still at times reluctant to speak of Christ for fear that my co-workers or friends will reject me, that I will sound a bit weird. I'm reluctant to speak out against the twisted and godless ideologies which mar our society and the world. If being a Christian was a crime, would there be enough evidence to convict me? 2,000 years after his death, Stephen inspires me to pray for and take opportunities to step out of my comfort zone and be just a bit bolder about bringing Jesus into my conversations with others. God promises that when we do, we are not alone, that he will take our faltering words and use them to bring others into the kingdom. So may I, may we this week, echo Paul's wonderful words in Romans 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Amen.